speak this speak to us this morning, speaking from God's word, and um, uh, yeah, let me just pray for him. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, Christy is one of the leaders of the church. Um, he's a faithful man of God, and uh, we are, yeah. <clears throat> Uh, Father God, I thank you again for your presence and your word to us. Um, thank you for Christy, who loves you and knows you. Um, and I thank you that, um, uh, I pray, Lord, that you would speak through Christy to us. Um, give us ears that are open, hearts that are soft, um, ready to receive your word and obey it. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, everyone. Yeah, hello, I'm Christy. Um, my wife and my daughter are here. This is Show and that's Hope. <laughs> There she is. Yeah. Father to one daughter, husband to one wife. There she is. And um, it's really good to, to see so many of you here today. This is, not, um, this, is a, this is not an easy thing for me to have been preparing for. This is my first time speaking on an Easter Sunday, a Resurrection Sunday. I've been very excited. I've been very nervous. My stomach has been backflipping this morning. Um, oh, Peter, I was going to use those. It's a shame. Um, but yeah, this is it. This is it, folks. Resurrection Sunday. When you read the Bible, this is it. It's not about Jesus being a nice bloke. It's not about Jesus being a good teacher. It's about Jesus being resurrected from the dead. He is the resurrected Son of God. And it's, it's hard for me this morning to add to what already what Joyce has brought to what Emma um, has shared, to what um, Holly has led us in, to even to what, what Debbie shared. You know, what more is there to add to that? But uh, we've, we've talked maybe a bit about Jesus' death. And on Friday, we read through the story on Friday. For those who don't know, we gathered together to retell the story of Jesus um, from Passover to his death on the cross. And we do that. We did that chronologically for all the Gospels. There's repetition. There wasn't so many slip-ups on the reading. Everyone was very impressive. Often we have some, some laughs in there. But no, it was very... We, we went clean through um, and we stop at Jesus' death. And there's this... We're left in this wonder and this confusion that probably the disciples would have been feeling. You know, we thought this was the guy and now he's dead. What happens now? So... Carrying on from that place, I want us to continue. We've got some reading to do. Um, so yeah, we read on Friday night of Jesus' betrayal by his friends. For those who don't know the story, betrayal by his friends. He then faced a very unjust trial by Israel's leaders. He was rejected by his people um, who chose to set free a murderer instead of him. Then we have his brutal and humiliating torture by Roman soldiers and ultimately his mocked, celebrated death on the cross. And every time we read this story together aloud, it stirs something in you and troubles you in new ways. It's a horrendous story. <laughs> it's a horrible story. It's, uh, I listened to Charlie Mackesy uh, yesterday, um, who's famous for now the the mole, the fox, the boy, and the horse, or whatever order that is. Not in that order. All the right animals, not in the right order. And uh, Oscar winner now, or something like that, I think. Anyway, 10 years ago, he did something for 24-7 prayer about Easter and Good Friday, and he stood next to a painting he was doing about the crucifixion. He says, this is the ugliest thing you'll ever see, and it's also the most beautiful. And we'll, we'll see why. So, um, if you could click for me, Katie. Thank you so much. So, we're going to be reading here. This is John 20. And we're going to read all of John 20, because we read all of the Passion. We're going to read 
this resurrection story from John 20. So if you'll excuse me, I'm going to read, and I'll turn, and I'm going to read it all. We've got a few slides to go through, okay? But it's, it's a great story, so you'll enjoy it. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and, and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him, because he was second to the tomb, remember, and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, remember, he also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body has been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Next. He asked her, oh, sorry. Oh, one more. That's it. Here we go. Woman, why are you crying? He asked her. Well, who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless the nail marks in his hands, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thank you, Katie. So Jesus is alive. That's the story. That's how it goes. Probably many of you in this room have been to funerals. You've, been, you've faced the anguish of grief. And that's what the disciples felt. And then he wasn't dead. He was alive. He defeated death. 
So we've got this man, Jesus. Jesus was a real man. He did things that no one had ever done and said things no one had ever said. He lived a perfect life and suffered a dreadful death for us. The Apostle Paul says, boom, says God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. My correction here says become ice, the righteousness of God. Not that, become the righteousness of God. So there's this phrase here, for us, for us. Jesus died for us. And this is what I've been thinking about. I've been thinking about resurrection. I've been, talk, uh, wanting, I've been reading about resurrection, and that's what I wanted to talk about. And I've been thinking, we sang a song even this morning that said Jesus is our saviour. Right? So what I wanted to look at is what have we been saved from, and what have we been saved for? Because it's all right to say I've been saved, but, you know, I'm all right. <laughs> I'm okay. If you look at my life, I'm ticking a lot of boxes. You know, I'm married, tick little baby tick, you know, own a house sort of tick, you know, I'm all right, what do I need saving from? And what on earth could I be saved for? So let's have a look at this. That's what I've been reminding myself. Well, this passage says we've been saved from sin, from sin. So I'm just going to talk about sin a little bit. We, um, We can be confused by sin. It's a word that's been used and abused and misconstrued for thousands of years. Um, And I I went to the Bible Project. We'll know the name of Tim Mackey. We've listened to him at 24-7 gatherings, even here in this room. Um, And he is from the Bible Project. And I was learning about sin in three different ways. Today I'm going to talk about this one. So sin, we've got this Hebrew word, chatar. And we've got this Greek word, harmatia which is a bit too close to my name, actually. I've been looking at that over and over again, thinking, oh, hang on. Um, But these are the two words in the Bible that often you'll see when they're talking about sin. They'll use one of these words. It tends to be in the Old Testament, you'll see chatar, and in the New Testament, you see hamatia. And this is what it means. It means to miss the goal. It means to maybe to lose your way. If you were reading a map, and you read it wrong, and you took a wrong turn, that would be chatar. You know, I've, I've I've missed the goal. I've missed the goal. So Theo be excited about that. Where's Theo? Missed the goal. There you go. It says goals here. Theo, Theo never sins on the football pitch, do you, Theo? You never miss the goal? No. <laughs> so, um, yeah, to miss the goal. So then it makes you think, well, what on earth is the goal? If I'm missing it, if we're freed from sin, if I've, if I've been, you know, if Jesus took on sin, what is the goal? What am I missing? Um, and so we have to look back at what the goal is. And to look back at that, we look back at what, you know, the history and story of humankind in the story of Eden, of Adam and Eve, humanity at home with God. See, God, in, the, in, the, in, the, in Genesis, it says God made man in his image and women, made humanity in his image. And our goal, really, is to honour that image of God in one another by loving God and by loving one another as ourselves. That's what Jesus said. That's the, the Ten Commandments. You can split them in half. Half of them are about loving God. Half of them are about loving others. You've got Jesus came and said, here's the greatest commandment, is to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And that's the goal. Ultimately, that is the goal, is to honor the image of God in one another by loving God and by loving others. They are intrinsically linked. If I don't honor the image of God in Scott, then I'm not honoring God. So they're intrinsically linked. And I don't know about you, but I've missed a lot more than I've scored, if that's the goal. 
So, so we can think of sin then as a failure to be really what it is to be human. Because that's what we're made for. Sin is a failure to be humans that fully love God and others. And uh, I was also learning about sin actually being our inability to judge whether we're actually failing or succeeding at this. Sin is also this inability to know if I'm actually doing what is right or not. The Bible gives a really extreme example of King Saul chasing after David, wanting to bring a criminal to justice, to murder him, when actually David had been anointed by God. And Saul comes to David and says in, uh, in 2 Samuel, he says, come back, David, I have sinned. Chatar, this word chatar comes in. So he thought he was doing the right thing. And he thought he was doing right by God. But he wasn't. <laughs> and he realized that. And he said, I have sinned. And so with us all running around like this, <laughs> missing the goal here, there, and everywhere, we create a world that is so crooked that uprightness can't stand. You know, um, if you just go back one, Katie. We might become the righteousness of God. Well, how can we be upright if the world's at a slant? <laughs> we can't. And how often have we suffered as well in the experience of our own crooked choices? As Charles said, you know, Charles used the phrase, sometimes we choose our chains. <laughs> you know, we, we do things, we think things, we say things, we feel things, and we feel the weight of those things. We feel the burden of those. It's, you know, how often have you woken up or failed to gone to sleep at night because you're thinking about all the silly little things you said, that wrong you did to that one person 15 years ago? How many ex-partners have you looked up on social media thinking, oh, gosh, I hurt them, they hurt me? You know, we live with the weight of these choices. And also sin is this deep impulse. It's a deep selfish impulse that drives much of our behavior. Can you go a couple of slides? Next one. I've spoken on this before here uh, about Paul's words in Romans. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. For what I hate, I do. I think these are the most relatable words in the whole of Scripture. <laughs> the most relatable words in the whole of Scripture. Sometimes I just don't understand what I'm doing. And that's this power of sin that is over us, our inability to judge. I don't know. I don't understand. Why did I just do that? Why did I just do that? Why did I say that? Why am I thinking this? And if you ever catch yourself in this moment, well done. Because <laughs> I only ever catch myself a few hours afterwards, after it's already happened. I'm thinking, why am I doing this? Why did I do that? Why did I just waste so much of my life? Why did I hurt that person in that way? Why didn't I just let that person go in front of me when I'm driving along? You know, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I, I do. And I don't want to be like that. You know, so this is what we're talking about when we talk about sin. It's not just your bad actions. It's, it's everything. There's a power over this world. There's something deep within us that just doesn't let us choose what is right sometimes. And this is what we've been saved from. This is what we are saved from. Also in this chapter, Paul talks about sin as something that we're slaves to. A ruling power in our lives, and that is the curse of man, the curse of humanity, that we are subjects to the power of sin. And the Bible also says the wages of sin is death. So what are we saved from? We're saved from sin. We're saved from death. And still humans die because we have to. Still humans die because we have and do from the beginning. We reject God's ultimate life. The story in Eden is that God gives Adam and Eve the tree of life. Eat from this, and they live forever. And there's perfection, and there's unity, and they are one. And it just must have been the best thing. It just must have been the best thing. And they rejected that. They rejected that. God's offer 
of life, from the tree of life, requires a surrender of what we might think is life so that we can receive the true life that God wants to give us. Don't be fooled. We are tricked. We live in a crooked world that we think we know what is right, and sometimes we just don't. And our experience tells us that. (laughs) Our experience tells us that. Tragically, we often decide to choose life as defined by our own wisdom, our own culture, our own trappings, and embracing our own self-ruin. Often, these choices seem as innocent as eating tasty, good-looking fruit, like in Adam and Eve's case. It's not all murdering people, guys. (laughs) It's not all that. But when those choices oppose God's wise instruction, they corrupt life and bring death. So what have we been saved from? We've been saved from our inability to truly love God and love each other. We've been saved from death. Jesus takes the weight of the worst, most destructive parts of ourselves and is crushed by the pieces. Well, now what? (laughs) Because it doesn't always feel like that, does it? Now what? Well, we'll go back to the text. Not skipping. We're just. uh, If you can press one, I think. There you go. Back to the text. John 20 starts early on the first day of the week. And it's not just John. Also, Luke says it was the first day of the week. Matthew says it was the first day of the week. Mark says it was the first day of the week. Why is this? What's that all about? Why would they say what day it was? And just a little note here. This is just me. I've wanted to tell people this my whole life. And I often do tell people this. And it's really boring. But I'm going to tell you anyway. See on the left here. I remember when I was in infant school, probably in year one or two, I can still see the rule that had the days of the week mapped out, and this is how it was mapped out. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And I still always think of the days of the week like this. So for me, this is a really helpful image to be like, oh, there's the days of the week. If you're asking me, what are you doing next Tuesday? I'll go, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Saturday, Sunday, and I'll go around like this. So early on the first day of the week, this is the correct way to see the week. Why is this exciting? Someone's come back to life and we care what day it is. Well, if the goal of life is to know God, love God, and love his world, we find that in the creation story, right? We've talked about this. Which, and the creation story goes how? It goes on day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, day seven, right? And this, this picture of seven becomes really, really... It's a symbol of perfection, right? If, if God made the, the world in seven days, everything was made perfect in seven days, the Hebrew people in their culture, that was seven, is this really number of perfection. And that's even like you can zoom right in. In the Hebrew, uh, Genesis 1 is seven words. Genesis 1, verse 1, is seven words in the start of this story of seven days. And even, in, I learned this about seven. Seven means, what's cool about seven is you can have three over here, Four, three over here. It's got this symmetry to it, right? And the fourth word, get this, the fourth word in Genesis 1-1 in Hebrew is, the, is a word that's like et or something. But it's the first letter is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And the second letter is the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So even just in the first sentence of the Bible, you've got seven, you've got symmetry, you've got beginning and end. The whole of Genesis 1 is perfection. And seven is such an important number. If we can click. And in, I read from the Gospel of John, because also John takes this and runs with it, and he writes his Gospel with showing seven signs. It goes from water into wine, healing the royal official son, healing the paralytic at the pool, feeding the 5,000, walking on water, healing a man born blind, raising Lazarus from the dead. There's seven signs. And I'd encourage you, if you don't know these stories, to look them up and, and read them. They're really good stories. 
But now we've got early on the first day of the week. We can click, Katie. And we've got an eighth. We've got an eighth sign. On the first day of the new week, the eighth day of the week. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, new day, eight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven signs, Jesus' resurrection, eight. What are we, there's no coincidence here. What are we saved for? We're saved for the first day of a new week, of a new creation. Jesus' resurrection means all things are, can, and will be made new. I love that song that we were singing, Holly, where it said, um, sin left a crimson stain, but you wash me white as snow. Have you ever seen it when we live in a really ugly town? <laughs> we live in a really ugly town. It's really ugly to look at. But when it snows, everything is made new. You know, when you look out on our, on our park, they do their best with it, the council, you know, and praise, you know, thank you, council, for what you do for, for our town. But, you know, you can put lipstick on a pig and all of that. But when it snows, when it snows, and, that you, and you drive past it, you walk past it, and you see that untouched snow, and you can't see the bubbles in the ground. You can't see where there, someone lit a fire and it's still burnt up. You just see white as snow. And for me, every time I see that, I'm like, wow, God washes me white as snow. Charles says, I've got a lumpy head. Thankfully, I've got hair. Covers it all up. You can't see my lumpy head. You see my lovely blonde hair. And that's like my life, you know. God washes me. You can't see my lumps and my bumps. You can't see my, my horrid nature, really. You can't see my deep impulses. You can't see what I thought about you last week. <laughs> God has washed us white as snow. Okay, anyway, that's gone off my notes there. Um, so forever before Jesus... Humans live lives that turn from God, breaking relationships and trust and mistreating each other through crooked behavior. But Jesus shows us. I said Jesus had done things no one had ever done before. One of those things is he shows us a new way of living. We talk about a new creation. There's a new way to live. We don't just have to live how our parents lived or our grandparents. We don't have to live like our neighbors live. We don't have to live like our friends live. There's a new way of living, of faithfulness, trust, trustworthiness, and integrity. Jesus, there's the kind of human that Jesus was, and he wants us to be. Interesting little thing I learned preparing for this is we read on Friday that the temple curtain was torn. When Jesus died on the cross, the temple curtain was torn. Now, a little bit of history on the temple. The temple used to be the tabernacle, which used to be Eden. That's how we can think of it, right? God's presence with us in Eden God was always with us. We were always with God. He was there. Then we rebelled against God. We're in the desert. God gives us his presence in the tabernacle. And we can access his presence again. But how interesting that. When, Pete, when Adam and Eve were sent out of Eden, there's this image of cherubim, of angels there with a flaming sword to protect the entrance. And I always imagine it like spinning like this. Right? Can't get back in. There's a flaming sword. And interesting, I never clocked this. But in the, on the temple curtain into the presence of God that blocks you from the presence of God. There's two little cherubim on it. There's two little angels embroidered in it. And what's in between, if you're looking from the entrance to the temple curtain, there's the fire of the altar. That same image, the cherubim with the flaming sword. And you've got the cherubim with the fire. And then again in the temple, they had the cherubim on the curtain with the fire. And then Jesus dies 
and the temple curtain is torn in two and the cherubim are gone. Jesus went on the altar for us. The way is clear. We can't miss. Jesus took the fire that never goes out. And this isn't just good news for our souls. You know, we think of this as, you know, there's been a bit of a shift. You know, the world goes, the whole of history I've heard before is like a man, a drunk man, getting on his horse on one side and falling off the other and getting on and falling off. You can see it in football management all the time. Oh, we had a manager who plays nice possession football, but that didn't work, so we need someone who's going to keep it tight at the back. Well, that didn't work. We need fast-flowing, counter-attacking football. Well, that didn't, you know, and that is like the whole of history, really. And you'll see that in politics. We had a prime minister who's like this. Well, we need someone who's going to be tough and make decisions. Well, no, we need someone who's going to get people on side. Well, no, we need someone, you know, that's history. That's life. And this is, and the church has swung like this. And sometimes we can feel in a, yeah, well, you know, we're just all spiritual beings. And, and this is about our souls. And our souls will, will go from this place to another place. And that's real life. That's real life then. But no, that's not what the resurrection means. Jesus was resurrected into a body. Jesus was resurrecting into a body. Jesus coming back, meeting Mary, holding his scars. He was a resurrected body. And Jesus' resurrection as a body proves what Joy said to us, that God so loved the world. God so loved the world. The physical of this world is being redeemed and made new. It's not just our souls. It's everything. When um, Paul talks about the body, he isn't just talking about, you know, your bits, your leg, your arm. He isn't talking about that. He's talking about, it's more of like embodiment. It's like, I am not just my body, but I am the way that my body interacts with Scott's body and how my body interacts with this environment and how my body interacts with all of you. That's what Paul's talking about when he talks about the body. He's talking about in context, in environment, in relationship. And that's what's being made new. The physical world is being redeemed, made new, set free from the slavery of sin. Jesus' resurrection is good news for oceans and rivers, <laughs> ruined by plastic and sewage. It's good news for forests, moved by deforestation. It's good news for skies tainted by pollution. And it's good news for you, in your body, that you are worth saving, as you are. Your body is worth saving. And Paul talks about Jesus as well as the second Adam. If we can click, Katie... Thank you. Oh, new creation. This is what I'm talking about now. We <laughs> click again. Sorry. Um, yeah, Paul talks about Jesus as a second Adam, just like Adam was at the beginning. For since death came through a man, Adam and Eve, being deceived by the snake, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man, Jesus. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. After all, what was Adam in Eden but a gardener? And what does John 20 say Mary saw Jesus as? It says, thinking he was the gardener. And he is. And he's the greatest to ever do it. Sorry, quote, allotment team. Jesus is the greatest to ever do it. If we can click again. For in him... In Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is the great gardener, the one who tends, who brings life. And in his death, just as in Adam brought death, in Jesus' death we have life, new creation, not just for me. Not just in my head, not just in my heart, in my body, in our body together as the church. In this world, new 
new, a new way of living. He was there, he is here, he never stopped. God never stopped loving this world, tending to this world, and now nothing can stop him except ourselves. We talked about Brian and the things that you know, we can do and we can hold on to that just keep God at an arm's distance. You know, and then and why is it so hard still to face suffering? Why is it so hard to do the right thing when it's going to cost us? Well, Tim Keller says it's because we think this world is the only one we'll ever have still. In your mind still, you might think, this is, well, this is all I'm going to have, so I better hold on to it. This is all I'm ever going to know, so I better make the most of it for myself. Me and Charles, for our sins, <laughs> we watch, um, we, our trash TV that we like is Love is Blind. <laughs> so I won't go into the whole premise of it, and I wouldn't even encourage you to watch it, really, but it's hilarious to see these young people, it's not hilarious, it's deeply sad, to watch these young people who, they're constantly addressing this relationship that they've just made across a few weeks to get married, and, um, and they're constantly saying, yeah, but is this right for me? Is this right for me? Yeah, but what's going to make me happy? What, is, that, is that right for me? Because they think this world's the only one they're going to have, right? And they just, they're, they're thinking about themselves, but we are free from that. We're free from that because Jesus conquered death. And Joy said, God so loved the world that we might have everlasting life. In the Hebrew, it's more like life unto the age. We've got the age of God that starts from the beginning and never stops. It's still running now. And this is the age of God that we can dip into right now because of Jesus' death. Resurrection proves that God loves this world. Resurrection proves God doesn't want to just save souls but bodies, not just the spiritual but the physical. And that means God hates disease. He hates poverty. He hates death. And because God hates them, we can partner in destroying them and working against them today. And we had an amazing testimony of that today. A phenomenal testimony of that today. We could have just listened to that today and gone home. And if that didn't change you, then you weren't listening. And we'll get Debbie up here to say it again. <laughs> Easter means this material world matters. So we are free from the world for the world. We can each experience the first day of the rest of our lives every day because of Jesus. The first day of a new week is here for you today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. We live now and can live and will live in a new creation. And I feel like I entered into this um, new creation the day before my 13th birthday. The day before my 13th birthday was when I was baptised in water. And since that moment, my life has been different. Even as a 12-year-old, although I probably would have said I was more like 13, basically an adult at the time, he, <laughs> I, um, I felt a change really deep within me. And in some ways, the battle was won in me that day, but also it's still being fought today. You know, just because I was baptised before I was 13 doesn't mean I didn't do anything wrong. Doesn't mean I then lived like Jesus. But I did feel something change within me. I do think something of the power of sin in my life was broken. That I could then exercise my life in a different way. I could see things in a different way. I could do things that I felt were actually right rather than just what people thought I should do or what the world thought I should do. What are we saved for a new creation? Where is it? Here and then. It's now and there. Every time we partner with God to live his way, every time we hit the target, every time we don't miss the goal, every time we score a goal, love one another without expecting return. Celebrate without hoping it makes us look good. Repair and restore right relationships in secret. Every time we feed the poor, clothe the naked, living in the freedom that God wants for us. 
And it can be scary. It can be scary when all things are being made new because sometimes the way things are works well for us. If the world's going to be new, it means things won't be the way they are now. <laughs> so if today, right now, the world works for you, that's why we talk about this being good news for the poor, right? <laughs> because it's going to, things are going to be made new. Upside down. So if you're at the top, you're going to be at the bottom. Jesus says, if you're the first, you're going to be last. <laughs> and if you're last, you're going to be first. So when things work well for us, sometimes we have the power or the influence. Sometimes we're the ones holding the cards. You know, it, it can be difficult for us to think about this, really. And um, because of this, it can skew our views of status, of economy, of relationship. And, and it makes the kingdom now, like acting in the kingdom it makes it look like being crazy brave sometimes to us. That's what it can look like. I've made a list here of things. Our community has been founded on wild, unexpected, outlandish decisions and actions. You know, things look scary and brave, like buying a house to leave it unoccupied for eight years, for people to live it, to, for use, to come and go freely in the middle of the night, to pray, to eat. It looks like um, Debbie being adopted into a family WhatsApp group when she's not family to care for and um, nurture. It looks like Jeanette's ongoing healing that it should not be possible. Doctor said to her, we're surprised you're still here. It looks like having the world at your feet and choosing a nowhere town to give your life to. Who can you think of in this room who's done that? I thought of Kate Arbelada spending the best summers of your 20s caring for those who are thinking they're living theirs. You know, Kate went to Ibiza summer after summer to care for people who uh, got themselves in a bad way. You know, the world will say, make the most of, you know, being young. You won't be young forever. And, that, and she was. <laughs> she was doing that. In caring for those who couldn't care for themselves, she was doing that. We might think, oh yeah, go and spend every summer in Ibiza. Live your life. You do you. Because we're skewed. Do you understand what I'm saying? It looks like spending hours sitting opposite and alongside the most despised, trouble and hurting young people in our schools. Or endlessly walking the streets of our town. Or teaching maths to boys with hoods up and heads on their desks. <laughs> Don't waste your time on them. Don't waste your time on them. They're not going to learn. They're not listening. They've got nothing. They're no one. They don't have a future. No new creation. Justice for the poor. That's what resurrection means. It looks like preparing 250 meals every month so that people can eat together, to be together in each other's homes, celebrate, so that you don't have to cook one night, just even feel relief, so that you are not alone one night. That's what it looks like. It looks like giving up your Saturday of a bank holiday weekend to serve others. People who cooked for us today. People who set up chairs yesterday. It looks like knowing your worth to the poorest of the poor, even when the world says it's time to call it and live for yourself. Think of Rosemary in her 60s, moving to Burkina Faso to teach people to read, to translate the Bible. In her 60s, guys. In her 60s. Can you understand that? You actually probably, I probably still can't understand that until I'm in my 60s, you know. Just like I couldn't understand the sacrifice to give away a home until I owned a home. 
Do you understand? It looks like giving away your car. People in here would have received cars. Giving away your car. Here you go. Have the keys. Have it. It looks like praying through the night. It's really important to sleep. Really important to get sleep. Really important to get your eight hours, nine hours. It's really important to sleep. New creation. Wake up. Be awake through the night. Get up at 5.45 to go and pray at the sun, to see the sunrise, to celebrate the resurrected king. New creation. It looks like driving a double-decker bus so that kids have somewhere, to, somewhere safe to be at night. It looks like making room in your home for people to stay longer than you thought <laughs> or less than you might have hoped. <laughs> People making room in your life for people to hurt you. Oh, you have to you have to really look after yourself. You have to protect yourself. And we do, guys, you know. I'm saying a lot of I'm being dramatic, okay? But also I'm being real. All this I've not said anything that hasn't happened. I've not said anything that people haven't done. I've not said anything that people haven't benefited massively from. But we look at it, we listen to it, and from the outside we think, why on earth are they doing that? That's not right. Don't do that. Don't waste your time speaking into the void in the middle of the night, listening to songs to make yourself feel better. But we know that's not what it is. We know that's not what it is. I wish I had a longer list. You can probably add to it over lunch. What are we saved for? What are we saved for? We're saved for a world in which we're really free. Freedom from sin means freedom to really choose. Outside of what our culture tells us to choose. Outside of what our flesh tells us to choose. You, in, if, if you say, Jesus, I want this. If you say that to Jesus, you will have freedom to escape cycles of abuse, of pain, of torment even that have gone way before you. That's what we're free from. And free for. Freedom from death means we can live with confidence, guys, with boldness, that this isn't all there is. This isn't all there is. Do you know that? that it, this isn't all there is. Getting a jacket for seven pounds in River Island, feeling like a massive deal, and enjoying that, that's not all it is. Sorry, my jacket. That's not all it is. Can we just click? I don't know if I've missed anything. Grace. This is where we'll end. Grace is a gift. All of this is a gift. Do you know you don't deserve it? Do you know you don't deserve freedom to choose? Do you know that? Think of all the worst things you've done in your life and pile them up. Not to make yourself feel bad, but just to look at yourself in the mirror, really. You don't deserve it. Sorry. Spurgeon says, do not hate someone when they think little of you because you're worse than they even know you to be. <laughs> Sorry. It's not me who said it. And I look at my life and I think, ah, I've done all right. I've generally chosen the right thing, but I've chosen the wrong thing too. If you look at the map of my life, how many times did I miss the goal? This is grace. 
Jesus did this knowingly. He died a brutal death knowingly. He went on the cross knowingly for you, for us, for this world. And it is a gift that has to be accepted. I've talked about a bit about what it means to be saved, and Paul talks about salvation being a process, but it always has a starting point. It always takes you to say, I want to start on this journey. I want to be saved. I want to be free from sin. I want that. Please can I have that? It takes that. It's a gift, but gifts have to be accepted. And if, if, if for you, you haven't accepted that yet and you want to, then today is the greatest day to do that. There's always Monday, but Easter Sunday. Oh, imagine the stories you could tell with that one day. Oh, I was actually, uh, I, I accepted Jesus on Easter Sunday. Ooh, nice. There's, there is Monday, there is tomorrow, there is Tuesday, but Sunday is a better day. It's a gift to be accepted. And, and if also maybe, you know, yeah, I've been along with this for a while, but for me, as a child, I'd gone along with it for a while. You know, I had great examples in my parents. I had a family. I was going to church. But I didn't really take it on for me until I was baptized. And that changed something in me. There's something as well about being baptized. If you haven't accepted Jesus yet, this gift from Jesus to be free from sin and free for the world, then you can do that today. And if you haven't been baptized, I mean, yeah, you could do that today. But, you know, talk to someone about saying, I want to be baptized. I want to experience that. And we can make that happen. Accept this gift of grace. Jesus saved us. It's just a case of do you want life in its fullness or do you like things the way they are? That's the ultimate question. And that's all we weigh up. So I'm just going to end by praying. Jesus, we thank you for your gift. We thank you for the gift of grace. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving this world. We can't end. We can't ever thank you enough. How can I thank you enough? Your grace is more than enough, more than I need, we sang today. Thank you, Jesus, that for those of us who have accepted you, we know that we can experience being white as snow. Thank you, God, for taking the broken pieces of our lives and letting it crush you, that you might emerge new, to forge a new creation, a new earth in this place, that we can experience new life, that we can escape cycles of torment and suffering in our own lives, to know life in its fullness to experience this new creation today. God, I pray for our church, you would give us a confidence and a boldness to live like this isn't the only life we're ever going to live. But that you are making all things new. Show us your new order. Show us what true justice looks like. God, break through our inability to see when we're failing or succeeding. Give us eyes that see the plans that you have for us. The eyes that guide our feet. Help us, God, for we, we hate what we do. And I don't understand what I do. But you do. And you know the right way. Jesus, come. Come into my life. Holy Spirit, enter my heart. Make no room for sin in my body, in my life, in my heart, in my mind. The mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Govern my thoughts, God. I want to surrender to your way of true life. Not hold on to stubbornly the way that I think life ought to be. Come, God. Come, life. Come, breath. Thank you, God. Amen. Amen.